filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster promise you guys made yeah i guess we can have a show <laughs> i on behalf of myself and only myself i apologize to all the <laughs> listeners um because apparently i will succumb to peer pressure so kids don't do what i just did don't drink 100 proof bourbon and then badly sing a song on a podcast because your friends promised that you would without consulting you as a th- and it was a throwaway promise by the way it wasn't like we sat and planned that one out it was just like oh yeah yeah we'll make adam sing <laughs> and then it became I do. we absolutely will not have a show unless adam sings and i had yeah or we'll have a recording uh, I do have to arguing over whether we'll have a show i guess is what we would actually have yeah i i do have so to basically thank adam should never take on, any on. any breaks <laughs> i i I don't know when when I took a break. DC United began a three game winning streak. So that's true. I, I don't know. What do I care about more, my dignity or or DC United? It's an honest, open question. I'm not sure what the answer is. I do want to thank Steve Renard though at PR Steve twenty seven on on Twitter for coming through with the parody lyrics there of Wider Shade of Pale. Um, you you sir are. Uh, some kind of hero. I'm not sure what kind of hero, but a hero nonetheless. The hero that we all deserve. Yeah. Not the hero I needed, but the, the hero this podcast deserved. That that much is... Exactly. For sure. So I'm back. I was in Kentucky in Indiana. I saw the full eclipse. It was awesome. I swam in a lake. My, my yeah. three-year-old daughter rode a horse for the first time. Um, 
it was it was a great trip. And then DC United did really well, so even better. And now I'm back. Woo! We've accepted you How back you on lo- from from your loan. Yeah, my loan. It, it was funny because immediately before the loan, I was supposed to be transferred to the vocal minority, our, our friends up in Toronto, and and I guess I I didn't pass the physical. Um, I had a little bit of laryngitis that day, and they they nullified the the transfer. I didn't even get a free trip to Toronto. They did it over the phone. Podcast physicals are are stupid. You don't even get a free trip out of them. I mean, were you really gonna like start over? Uh, Chris Knowles, I, I don't think so. I think no, they I, realized that they had a good thing going. I so. don't think Kristen would have been the first one out. I think I think putting me in there would have been more like uh, adding Stevie to the the midfield that is her and Duncan. Okay. Or maybe well, Knauss. Maybe not. I'm more of a since Knauss. They, I don't since know. They sent you, since they sent you back, I guess not. Yeah, I guess I'm more of the tempo setter, so maybe I'm more Knauss than than Stevie. Either way, I think I would have been a strong addition, but now I'm back here and I'm happy um, to to throw myself back into the the squad and and do my best for for my mates. And on that, almost filibuster. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, welcome in. This is filibuster. The uh, bad singing and black and red united podcast i'm adam taylor back from from a couple weeks away they are ben bromley and jason anderson famous for writing checks someone else will have to cash i guess that's kind of how checks work anyway so that's not the best analogy (laughs) this is why you guys tried to send me off this is why you sent me on loan uh when i got back my um my game was not at his at its strongest uh we're all from blackandredunited.com. We cover DC United, the U.S. national teams, and we're going to be talking about both of those tonight. DC United has an honest-to-God winning streak going. We're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team's uh, upcoming World Cup qualifiers against Costa Rica and Honduras. Before we do anything, though, Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? Uh, so before we, we, we went on, I was telling Ben about I went out to buy chili, um, the makings for chili, more accurately. I'm going to make my own. Um, and I'm not going to give, I'm not going to give out my whole chili recipe on the show, but one thing that goes in there is, uh, generally a, some sort of dark beer, hopefully a stout or a a porter, but I kind of wing it with that. Um, but this time I went back to the very basics and got myself some Guinness. So one of the Guinnesses that is not going in the chili is in my glass right now. Very nice. Ben. So I had a delightfully lazy Sunday yesterday after. Did you uh, going wake up in the late afternoon, call Parnell just to see how he's doing? No, did not do that. You did not go I, get cupcakes and had, see the Chronicles of Narnia. If I had Chris Parnell's phone no. number, I would call him frequently. Uh, I would as well. Yeah, no. This this was really just my way of asking if Ben would share that with me. Yeah, no, uh, if I had his number, which I am not willing to admit nor deny, uh, I would not be giving it out on this podcast. So sorry, guys. But uh, I did go get uh, brunch fixings. And then we, uh, my wife and my daughter and I had a lovely brunch out on our uh, porch. And then we continued to stay on our porch all afternoon, uh, drinking mimosas and uh just hanging out. And then I grilled some shrimp later in the uh, early evening and we had grilled shrimp for dinner uh, and continued to drink various and sundry things. So that was our day, just hanging out on the porch and 
chilling out. So I'm drinking the remnants of the um, the champagne that we had for the mimosas uh, nice. right now. And it is cheap champagne, but it's perfectly acceptable. What kind of champagne is it? I think it is technically it's, barefoot pink Moscato. It's not Cook's? <laughs> no, it's not Cook's. Wait, is that a sweet champagne? Adam, I said the words barefoot pink Moscato. What do you think? I retract my nice. <laughs> that sounds it's great. Fine. It's fine. Like, I, I'm a guy who likes rosé. I like dry rosés when the the weather gets warm. That I... Sweet champagne, I, I cannot do. I, I am glad that there are people who like that, because I do not. Um, tonight, I am drinking uh, what was a gift from my father-in-law while we were in Texas, or it, while we were in Kentucky, rather. Um, Four Roses Single Barrel, 100 Proof, nice. straight bourbon whiskey. That'll it is, uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I have to ask, uh, why did you just say Texas? I... I'm not sure. Maybe to Kentucky. No, I I think maybe I, you know, obviously Texas has South Texas in particular. Houston has been all over the news lately. And so I probably have it on my mind. And I think a lot of people have have it on their mind, especially if you know anybody down there. So that that's my guess as to why I said Texas, because I wasn't consciously trying to. Okay, But. You know, did you uh, also take a podcast physical with uh, Dynamo Theory? I I I did not. Um, okay. No, I I, I wasn't allowed to because I was under contract here, b- pending the physical with uh, with Vocal Minority. Okay. But you know, who knows? Who knows what the future holds? Uh, let's get down to soccer. Uh, since I was last on a show, uh, two weeks ago, DC United has gone and won three straight games, including taking down Atlanta and New England, uh, both at RFK just this week. Uh, so, you know, nine points in eight days. Not, not a bad piece of business there. Uh, we're going to ignore, ignore for the moment the fact that DC United only scored one of the goals in their three wins. Uh, not in each game. 1.5. Uh, <sighs> Yeah, they only got credit for one of the three goals in those three one to nothing wins. Um, we're going to ignore that for the moment and, and focus on the good, which, you know, from a broad perspective, uh, goes all the way back to, I, I would say deadline day and the flurry of activity DC United had there. And there's just been a, such a huge 180 degree shift in the sentiment around this team. And it, it's in, my mind, anyway, like my feelings toward the team changed a lot and feelings about the direction of the team and and the future of the team. So this is it's, you know, bringing in these players, making these changes. It's it's done a lot for for the team. I, you know, obviously three straight wins is whether however they came three straight wins is not something that people were expecting three weeks ago. Yeah. And, and you can I mean. For people that that were at the stadium for those games, or or one of the one of the games, um, you definitely could you could kind of feel it. Um, people were not just there. Like when when a team is really bad, the people that are showing up are there out of a sense of duty more than anything else, and that weight wasn't really on people's shoulders. Uh, walking around RFK or listening to people in the stands, um, seeing people after the games. I mean, people were 
legitimately there's a pleasant level of surprise um, that one that the team made so many moves. Um, that's a huge shock because I think I think a lot of us were expecting maybe one big move, maybe one in this window, and then the winter would be the bigger. You know, that would be where maybe the uh, the superstar name comes in, and instead we saw a lot of things done in a whirlwind. 48, 72 hours. Uh, it's uh, earlier tonight. I referred to it as last month when it was actually still only like two weeks ago. Um, because it <laughs> felt like a month in and of itself, uh, that, that stretch of time. Um, but yeah, it, it, it changes, it, ch- it changes the way that fans look at the team. It changes the way that observers outside look at the team. Um, all of a sudden you're seeing national outlets write about DC United a little more. Whereas, Normally at this stage of the season, if you're where DC is and there's not a major controversy going on or a coaching change or anything, you just sort of get forgotten. Um, every every year we see that, and uh, in this case, all of a sudden people want to talk about this team. Um, people are going out of their way to watch a DC New England game that, if you look at the standings, doesn't really draw in people. Because there's no real gain in watching that game. Um, but it's because people want to see what's going to what, what this team is capable of with these new players, um, and uh, yeah, it's definitely changed the mood. It's changed perceptions, and uh, you know, maybe more importantly, it's changed the team because the team is better. That uh, it's a legitimate improvement at at multiple positions, which uh, is maybe maybe a thing that gets overlooked a little when we, you know, people talk about they want stories, they want uh, buzz or whatever. Um, and they tend to forget that it's still ultimately going to be about the actual soccer games being played, and DC United is now a a better soccer team. Let's talk about some of those changes. Uh, We promise, as part of uh, our benefits to our Patreon supporters, to um, answer one question of theirs on air each month, and we have a couple of those questions to get to tonight. The first one... uh, We'll do now the second one in the next segment. Uh, this comes from uh, Filmy Girl, who who has been out of the country for a while and missed all those roster moves. She wants to to know what the essentials are for her to catch up. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, the three big additions: um, Paul Ariola, Russell Knaus, and Zoltan Stieber. Over the course of this segment, uh, Bruno Miranda is oblivion, nineteen year old, full international who joins the team from the Chilean league. He hasn't seen any time yet, but, um, well, he played, they, they talk he about played the one game, oh. uh, against RSL. Oh, that's right. Uh, he did come in. For it that actually one. looked pretty bright. Uh, all things considered. Yeah. That was after I had been transferred and then loaned out. Right. So I, and, and also didn't have access to internet or television. So I didn't see that game. Kentucky. Uh, well, I was in the woods in, Western Kentucky. Yeah, was, I, I wasn't. That was probably more like I, cars. <laughs> I feel like you were probably still driving at that point. Yeah, actually, yeah, I was. I was driving through that storm and then crazy fog in the mountains of Tennessee. It was a wild trip. Um, sorry, Mr. Adams. Wild I just flashed back. Just just flashed back for for a minute to that fifteen hour overnight drive. Uh, but those guys came in. Bobby Boswell went out. Lamar Nagel went out. Latou went out. Um, those are those are the big moves. Um, 
it can be kind of be seen as a statement of intent on DC United's part. Uh, as Jason said, nobody expected this many signings. The Spanish Inquisition. Uh, yes. If DC United can be as ubiquitous as the Spanish Inquisition, I think um, we'll, we'll be doing pretty well. Uh, hopefully we're more competent than they are, but we'll, we'll see. Nobody expected that many signings uh, this early, and they seem to all be useful, competitive signings that improve the team immediately and tangibly, and three of them are 23 or under, or 22 or under. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, potentially a big deal, uh, not just for the rest of this year into next year in the opening of Audi Field, but for several years to come and if it if it does presage greater spending and a a quote name coming in this winter or or even next summer then you know it'll it'll definitely be looked back on as a a turning point in the club's history yeah it's been great to see all of these new signings they've all had immediate impact which has also been uh delightful and while Paul Ariola has been very good, it's just amazing to see, like, I know we've talked about this before, but it's just amazing to see just the difference between Jared Jeffrey and Marcelo Sarvas attempting to play defensive mi midfield and Russell Knaus actually succeeding at p playing defensive midfield. And he's not, not yet at least, he's not, he's not an amazing player. He's not a Gary Medell or anything like that, but just his ability to be probably even at this point above average at defensive midfield provides such a difference for the team and such a difference in what they're able to do that it's still baffling to me and probably to all of us that they didn't try and address this earlier in in the off season before the season started. Yeah, I think they were counting on both Marcelo and Jeffrey maintaining the their Except it was uh, Rob. It was Rob Vincent than, who was yeah. the, the the best defensive midfielder down the right. stretch last well, year. He got hurt. Marcelo got yeah. old, and Jeffrey regressed to his actual level. Those are the three things. Any one of which doesn't happen, United's not quite in the same hole. And I don't think being in such a deep hole forced them to act. But I I don't have any proof that it that it didn't. Uh, one thing I do want to say about Knaus in you pointing out how successful he is as a defensive midfielder. He's just such a better tackler of the ball everywhere yes. on the field. And in this game, if any of you watch the um, condensed match, the 20 minute version on MLS live, or go back and watch the whole thing, focus on how many tackles Knaus wins and how many tackles Marcelo goes into and just doesn't come away with either the player or the ball. Uh, there were two or three times where Marcelo went into a tackle. He should have won. It should have been 50% to win the ball and more than that to at least stop the player. And one of these was Javon Watson's big shot on goal. He just comes away somehow on the wrong side of both the player and the ball. And I don't understand how he does that. Hopefully in two weeks, Ian Harks is healthy and playing either alongside or in front of Knaus. Um, because that's, I think, the look that everyone wants to see at this point. Yep. Uh, before we move on too much further, I do want to 
shout out another Patreon patron, Filmy Girl, uh, supports us, and we we thank her and hope we I hope we answered her question satisfactorily. John Reeves is a new Patreon supporter of us this month uh, at the ten dollar level, and that guarantees him a a public thank you so mr reeves on behalf of ben and jason and myself thank you very much for your support we appreciate it more than you know um so our, thank our, you our for goats that. our goats thank you as well um it's it's a complicated thing they have to go through because they can't speak but we can tell yeah you're just gonna have to take ben's word and jason's word on that uh z's up you guys um, put on your bubble jackets, Zoltan. put your hands in a Z formation, and uh, all hail the Zoltan. Uh, hashtag Stevie is, if this first game is any indication, he is legit. He um, he was really fun to watch. Yeah. I, I broke out in giggles so many times from what he and Lucho Acosta were doing, and I think that, that might be the biggest thing. It's not just the quality he brings to the team, and his vision in the open field and his uh, willingness to, you know, kind of street ball a little bit, but also the fact that he sees the game the same way and at the same speed as Lucho, that makes it so much fun. The two of them were just on a wavelength and that's number one, really fun to watch just in the one outing. And number two bodes really, really well for the future. Yeah. He, he, he was impressive, um, to say the least. Um, the the funny thing is, he doesn't look to be super fast. Uh, I mean, he's not slow, um, but he doesn't look like a remarkably gifted professional athlete in terms of... All he's not like Ariola. Um, but the soccer side of it, the, the con- his close control, his first touch is outstanding. Um, and he thinks the game fast, and all of a sudden... He doesn't have to be so fast because the ball is exactly where he wants it to be on his first touch. He doesn't, you know, if you see a guy and he receives the ball 40 times in a game and his first touch is okay, he's still going to make up a few inches here and there over and over again over the course of the game. And all all of that takes up his time. And we're talking about split seconds to outthink your opponent. That time counts. Um, And Schneeber's ability to, to control the ball so quickly uh, it just it opens up the game for him, and the fact that he's also mentally faster than just about everyone on on the field, at least from New England, um, which I mean, it is not the highest bar in the world to to outthink New England these days, but still, um, he made it look very easy, um, and all of a sudden you see gaps opening up, and it it doesn't require uh, Dominic Oduro level speedster to take advantage. You just have to be a little faster mentally. Um, so that that was that was really nice to see to see him and uh uh Lucho uh trying the tricks not and and not just you know little things when no one's on them but you know uh Stieber had the back heel to Patrick Mullins on a counterattack um Acosta of course had the Rabona through ball oh, um, yes that was <laughs> I want to I want to break down that play in a little bit more detail actually um you pointed out, uh, I think it was on the Facebook video you did after the game, Jason, that Acosta is the one that ran down the overhit corner kick mm-hmm. to to keep that play alive. And then he actually make gets the ball a couple other times before... Um, wait, that's that's a different play. He he gets it in, works his way back into the middle. Stieber's on the, the outside at that point, tries to pass it to Knaus, actually mishits his pass a little bit, uh, 
starts to react to that, the fact that it was a mishit pass, and he starts trying to get ready to see what's next, notices that Acosta is going to get to the ball first, and he's going to be in open space when he does. And he makes a perfect run in behind the defense. Acosta knows what he's going to do because uh, he knows Stieber sees the game the same way and hits that Rabona in behind. And if, if that had scored or if... Um, I think this might be one of the few times Stieber's first touch let him down a little bit. It got away from him just a little bit, and he had to shoot. He didn't have the the pass over to the back post where I think Mullins and Franklin were both waiting for the ball, but he still almost scored and it took a pretty big save from Cody Cropper to, to keep it out. It was just, it was so much fun to watch. Mm -hmm. I mean, just seeing, you know, it's one of these simple things, but uh, the technique that he has uh, to control the ball, it just, it makes the game it makes it easier, and therefore you can start to get creative at that point. You don't have to think, um, all right, I can I can get this under control and get the ball away just in time, but I can't do anything beyond that. There's no, there's not going to be a flare on this. It's just functionality. Like, I can get the ball, I can get it to its target, but it's not going to be anything special. Um, and that's fine, and it's good when, when, you know, if you have a team of guys that can do that consistently, you're going to win a lot of games. But you're not necessarily going to... Uh, have people talking about a given goal weeks later um, or a given assist. I mean, on the, the Rabona play, it doesn't even end with a goal. Um, and yet we're talking about it more than the actual goal. Um, and having that, that ability to control the ball and give yourself that much more time means that, it, especially when you've got gifted players who can do these sort of tricks, now you get to see some entertainment. Um, and so the knock over, you know, years and years has been DC doesn't entertain enough. Even when they're winning, they don't entertain that much. Um, I mean, last year during the goal scoring outbreak, I even still saw some people from outside DC saying like, Oh, they're not even, you know, they don't put on a show. They just score a bunch of goals, which I thought was <laughs> pretty ridiculous, but, um, it's trying really hard to hashtag yes. narrative. Yeah, it is. Um, well, I mean, certain, in certain circles, uh, you stick to your pre your conclusion forever. Um, but, uh, I mean, when you see the plays that they were able to put on, um, if this team can start defending the way they've defended the last few games and add in that level of stylishness, and, and on early returns, I mean, Stieber and Ariola both had to go back from whence they came to take care of some business. Um, Ariola had to get his possessions and his wife, or fiance, I guess. I can't remember. Um, he had to get a human, um, and I think he's got a dog as well. Um, get all that stuff from San Diego and bring it back out here. Um, Stieber had to go back to Europe to get his, uh, visa stuff taken care of. So they haven't even had a steady rhythm of, you know, 10 training sessions in two weeks, um, as you would expect. So it, it only, it, it only, it, if anything, it just indicates how much more that like this wasn't the ceiling of this partnership, um, or this attacking midfield trio, I should say. Um, this is like the first step, uh, which really, it, it should be very exciting. I mean, we might not have time. DC still probably has to win every single game they have this season to have a postseason to play in. Um, and even and then, then, they, they probably need, need at least a little help at that point. Um, but still, uh, it's all of a sudden it's a team where you can say, okay, I see next year being a big year, not just because of the stadium. It's big also because getting these guys on the same wavelength for a, a long time means that we're going to see some things we're going to remember for a long time. 
Moving on to Paul Ariola, who was the big name uh, in that deadline day flurry because he's a member of the U.S. men's national team and has at least a chance to start on Friday against Costa Rica. Um, and yet he's the one we're talking about last in, in this one. Um, against New England, which is the, the only game of this winning streak I was actually able to to attend, he... He, he looked a little fatigued at times. He was working really, really hard. His touch wasn't quite there, but he kept working. He kept making good runs. Uh, he kept fighting to win the ball back and actually created a pretty good shooting opportunity out of just fighting with a defender and coming away with the ball in space somehow. Um, he's like a much better Danny Cruz in some ways where he reacts oh. faster than everyone. Um, when there's a, a deflection or something, that was the one thing Danny Cruz did really, really well is his reaction time was just insanely fast. When there was a, when the ball would carom or, or bounce funny, he would just see it first and react first. It wasn't always to the tactical side, but just the physical reaction speed was incredible. And Ariola has that and has that same kind of fight in his game. He's also better than Danny Cruz, which is why he's Paul Ariola. Um, but I, I, I was kind of tickled when I when I saw that comparison in my mind because everyone likes Danny Cruz, and right. Paul Ariola is that but better. So, um, again, I think that's a good thing for the future <laughs> and the present. Yeah, I, f- I feel like uh, Paul Ariola is a very Ben Olsen kind of player. He's yeah. got a lot of uh, intensity. He's willing to work both sides of the ball, and while he's not a Zoltan Stieber kind of uh, crosser and attacker. He's going to get goals. He's going to get assists. But he also just fits what Ben Olsen wants to do. And that's uh, worth it in of itself. So he's going to not only provide attack, he's not only going to provide blazing speed down uh, that right side, which is something DC United hasn't had in a long time. But he's also going to... uh, Work back, provide defense. There's a reason that he has sometimes been used as a wing back. Uh, there's a reason he uh, is out on that wing and given a lot of defensive responsibility. It's because he can do it. So, and, and there's a reason that Bruce Arena uses him as that right midfielder because Bruce Arena also requires that of uh, his midfielders. So, people might might eventually people right now might be a little hesitant just because he's not as flashy as one might expect from a record signing, but he is exactly what this Ben Olsen, Ben Olsen system needs. And he, and he also makes, he makes things so much easier on his, his teammates. Um, yeah. The fact that he's always available uh, for a pass, he's always on the move and not just running around aimlessly, but actually doing something that has a purpose. Um, the fact that you can give him the ball at speed and he's going to keep it. Um, the the movement he makes is is a lot of times I think that you know one of the the qualms that that people raised a little bit um, in the aftermath of the whole transfer window was that he doesn't have a long history of scoring a ton of goals. Um, I think part of that is the fact that he's always making himself available for teammates as an option to such an extent that it's almost like a little bit of sacrifice in his game, um, which is really good, especially if. He's, if he's going to be the third most dangerous uh, in terms of goals and assists, if he's going to be the third most dangerous person in that attacking midfield, those you know 
Acosta and and Schieber, they need that from the third guy in that group. The fact that he's also the fastest of them um, that helps a lot too. Um, so yeah, I think he I think he complements Lucho and, and Schieber really well, and I think. It's it's nice to see that it's not it wasn't just let's get some good players and and throw them in there however they fit they all seem to fit together really well um, yeah. there seems to be a this wasn't a I'm gonna go buy some expensive clothes and you come back with you know um, a suit that doesn't match the shirt it doesn't match the tie this is it all goes together it makes sense as a group you and, don't end up with a Jonathan dos Santos when you don't need a central midfielder. Yeah, uh don't don't be like the Galaxy. Um buy players Ever. That in any time. Um I mean, I believe are now behind DC United in the standings. They are. They are. Uh, and they just and they're apparently about to hire Dom Kinnear. And they just lost their um the Dutch guy the uh Van Anholt. They lost him to a uh blown out knee. Van Dom. So, um no no, Van Anholt. No. Oh, Van Anholt. Yes, yes. Wrong wrong lowland country. Uh, Van Damme, yeah. yeah, Van Damme went back it, to Europe. It's also gone. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, don't be like the Galaxy. Do be like uh, a team that actually the part the parts are starting to fit together, um, which is very important. I mean, it's it's good to get better, but it's also in the long run you don't just want to get one step better. You need to get two or three steps better from where DC is today, and that's not going to happen unless the pieces all make sense as a group. So I think that the, these pieces have facilitated a potentially a long-term tactical shift. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Benny Ball and what it means and what it is and what it isn't. Um, but we saw, whatever you think of Benny Ball, we did see a change in approach during the first half against New England. The, the first 10 minutes uh, were really bad and... Nobody could hold on to the ball. But then after that, DC United settled down. Bill Hamid took all of his goal kicks short, usually to Jalen Robinson. Uh, and the center backs and central midfielders showed a commitment to playing out of the back and keeping it on the ground for the most part that we, we haven't really seen much of. And it, it led to a couple of, um, hair raising moments, uh, some very near bad turnovers in, United's defensive third, but they played through it and they they came out the other side, at least in this game, the better for it. Um, it was interesting to see this this kind of focus on on possession, which we hadn't really seen. And I think with these new pieces, with Paul Ariola, who loves to combine with with Lucho, with with Stieber, and and even with Mullins up top, and definitely with Knaus and with Harks coming in. It, that approach probably makes more sense than uh, what United has been doing. And it, what, whether it is the right approach, which I think it might be, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm glad to see them working on it now and not waiting until next year to try a new tactical approach and get it instilled in preseason because we saw what happened with that this past preseason when they tried moving Sean Franklin into center back so that they could hold on to the ball more. And it obviously didn't work uh, for, for several reasons. Um, the lack of a defensive midfielder, the fact that Sean Franklin is not a center back and some other ones, but now is the time to experiment. And I'm glad to see Ben Olsen doing that. And, and, I will, I will say that I don't necessarily think this is going to be a set-in-stone thing. 
Um, no. And I don't, I don't think you do either. Um, but, uh, it is, it's an interesting wrinkle that I'd like to see more of against better teams. Um, I, I, I am curious right now as to whether Olsen just thought maybe this will draw New England out and open them up a little bit. And it, it might just be a one game thing. Um, but at the same time, I kind of, I kind of liked what I saw. Um, I think the team is capable of playing this way. Uh, especially once you add in Ian Harks, um, over, over Marcelo, I think then at that point you become a little more reliable in central midfield with the ball, a little more reliable positionally. Um, not to mention faster, um, which also helps because you have to be able to get yourself open quickly. If you're going to play out of the back, you can't be stagnant. You can't be slow. Um, so those things all add up. And, and I also think that it's uh, it's kind of important to have a player like Jalen Robinson in there because I think he's more comfortable on the ball than any of our other center backs, maybe even any of our other defenders, period, um, give or take. And some of our midfielders. Right. Um, and that also makes a big difference. That first person getting the ball, if they make a mistake, the whole thing kind of tumbles. I actually, um, back when DC beat Atlanta at RFK, not recently, but the previous time, um, I broke down how DC turned uh, Atlanta playing out of the back into that eventual um, own goal from Michael Parkhurst the first time that happened. Um, and it all started with Atlanta makes a mistake on their goal kick. Their goal kick itself isn't well executed. Um, Parkhurst doesn't control the ball that well, and he's in a bad spot. And all, and all of a sudden, these things kept small errors kept cascading and cascading until eventually you end up on the ball. Lucho's on the ball inside the box. Um, and that's the, that's the danger of playing out of the back. Um, you've got to have the right personnel to do it. It's why a team like Atlanta will risk having Michael Parkhurst as a starter because he's defending wise. He's not all that strong. Um, usually he does not make the kind of error he made on that goal. Um, so someone like Robinson, uh, this is, if, if, if United is going to make a longer term look at playing this way, then Robinson has an even bigger stake uh, a claim to stake uh, as far as being a more regular part of the lineup because as is he's already got I, I believe it's now what four or five shutouts in his eight career starts um yeah we need to just I mean even defensively yeah he's he's been pretty good I mean, <laughs> uh, obviously I, I he's wanna, got I don't want to credit shutouts entirely to one guy but f- after a certain number you start to think like well he's at least part of the puzzle um, yeah, he's contributing to good defensive performances. Yeah. At the very least, you know that much. Yeah. And and that's not something that every defender on DC United has been able to claim this year. Yep. I'm not going to say that Steve Birnbaum should sit the pine for the rest of the year, but um, Jalen Robinson needs to play more. Yeah, I mean, and it should at the very least be a competition now because... We know, yeah. we know at if everyone plays to their ceiling, then yes, Burnbaum's obviously going to start. Um, but he hasn't played to his ceiling this year at all. Um, and so you have to start looking at, uh, you know, the, part of part of rebuilding this team is also going to be rebuilding morale. I think a few of the post-game quotes after this last game highlighted that, that players are, are happier to be there. Uh, they're having a better time. They're... they're it's lifted the spirits of the team. And one of those things is, uh, you know, maintaining that at least one of those things is going to be rewarding the guys that have been part of that, that this brief, brief turnaround. Um, and so when you look at, we're talking about three shutout wins, 
Um, even though the lineup has been chopped and changed, even with a trip to Colorado and a game against Atlanta, an actual good team um, thrown in there, uh, it would be very difficult to tell Jalen Robinson at this point that he's not part of the starting lineup based on 2017 performance, based on performances in the last few months. Um, it would be a very, I don't know how you could, honestly, I don't know how you could tell him that without it being clear that you're not picking entirely based on performance. Um, so it's, it's a great problem for a coach to have, but it's also, um, it's a testament to Robinson that he's putting, a you know, putting together some play that makes it hard for a potential national team guy to get back in once he's back healthy. Um, and that's, that's how it should be. If you're a good team, then that's the kind of push you're going to have from the guys that aren't getting much, much time is that when they get their chance, all of a sudden, um, you're wondering like, well, maybe this guy isn't walking back into the lineup the moment he's cleared. You know, worst case scenario, there's a rotation, uh, it, or at least rotation is an option when there's some fixture congestion, which again, hasn't always been the case for, for DC United. This is how you build depth, not by adding third and fourth string guys, but by uh, your homegrown players stepping up and by adding new names at the top. We haven't even mentioned Patrick Nyarko, who could come back yeah. and be healthy this year. Lloyd Sam came in as a super sub and was fantastic in this game yeah. against New England. He he helped create the goal. Yeah. Uh, got the secondary assist for a great cross to Opare, who headed it across for, for Lucho, um, whose run was on that goal. His his play and the, the run just to ghost in at the what was the first post and became the back post um, was, was superlative. It was a great run. Um, and there, there are some names we're not talking about who aren't on the field right now because uh, they, these new additions and, and improved play from others has pushed them off of it. And, and that's, that's a very good place to be. And that's what you need to do in MLS. And that's what they didn't do in this off season. Mm-hmm. You have to continually improve every off season, every transfer window or else as they've shown, now, at least twice, you get left behind. So hopefully they continue to take heed. And now that they have the money to improve the team, hopefully they continue to do so. And I think I think they will. And you know what? We're going to try to continue to improve, too, right after this break. Stick around. It's filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if 
you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. World Cup qualifiers are also back, and we are now down to the last four games in the final round of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. You know it better as the hexagonal. The U.S. men's national team are sitting third in the group uh, on, on eight points, one point ahead of fourth place Panama. They're going to host second place Costa Rica on Friday night before visiting fifth place Honduras next Tuesday. Um, and these are, these are pretty pivotal, pivotal games. Bruce Arena has said that Russia's not a lock at this point, even being in third. Um, they <laughs> dropped down. Ben, are you giggling? No, it's me. No. Go ahead. Jason's giggling. Yeah. Why are you giggling? It, it would be impossible to explain. It has to do with. <laughs> It has to do with the fact that Dylan Powers looks like Donkey Kong. Let's go. Let's just push past it. <laughs> You're still on that. You're yes. still on that. I okay, we were. It. This was something that happened during the break between segments, and now it is bleeding onto the air. And I'm going to force myself past it. Yes. Back to World Cup qualifying, and not Dylan Powers, um, and whether he has Simeon properties. Bruce Arena has been pretty straight up saying no matter how good the team has been over these uh these last few uh since he took over basically uh bet jason you've distracted me i can't even talk now <laughs> you've completely broken the show. no matter how good the united states men's national team has been since bruce arena took over russia and getting to Russia is is not a lock at this point, and these two games are going to go a long way to determining whether they actually get there. There's only one more set of games, two games left after these two. So it's it's a big deal. Uh, the roster is out for this. Um, there's one DC United player on it, and it's uh, not the goalie. It's Paul Ariola, who uh, obviously joined the team recently. We talked about him a lot in the last segment. Uh, the goalkeepers are Brad Guzan, Tim Howard, Nick Romando, uh, backing the oh. two of them up. <laughs> yeah, what can you do? Um, I, I guess I, I guess I understand Bruce Arena bringing a guy who's been in camp for World Cup qualifiers before. No, I don't yeah, agree yeah, with yeah, it, I t- but I, I can totally understand, understand it. Bruce Arena bringing a worse goalkeeper than Bill Hamid. Yeah, yeah. Why not bring three goalkeepers who are worse than Bill Hamid? Sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, he should be bringing Bill Hamid. I agree. I'm with you. I just also understand the inclination to go with people who have been in this situation before, even if I think it's wrong. Yeah, yeah, Uh, you should definitely bring worse people. (laughs) Defenders, Demarcus Beasley, Matt Beasler, Jeff Cameron, Omar Gonzalez, Matt Hedges, Eric Lehigh, Tim Rehm, Jorge Villafania, and Graham Zussi. Um, Not all of these guys will make the roster. There are a couple of somewhat older conversion projects of various levels of success in that group, um, I assume Cameron and Beasler or Go- Gonzalez will be the starters for the Costa Rica game. The Costa Rica game is the one they have to win, right? Of these two, yeah, I would say that that's a fair statement. Um, I mean, one in qualifying, win your home games, um, yeah, just as a basic thing. But if they beat Costa Rica, 
I, the job isn't done mathematically, but it's almost done. The, you know, their last three games are against the bottom three. Um, so yeah, if if you, it's not so much a must win, but it's a um, if you win this one, your path to qualification gets very easy. Um, whereas if you don't, all of a sudden the margin that margin of error we were feeling a little uh, a few months ago starts to creep back in quite a bit. Uh, Costa Rica currently three points ahead of the U.S., so a win would tie these two teams on points. Um, and if the U.S. wins by multiple goals, it'll be at worst tied on goal differential as well. So that that's definitely the one to win. You don't want to lose to Honduras, the fifth-place team uh, down there, but like Jason said, win your home games. In midfield, Kellen Acosta in despite his recent dip in form. Paul Areola in Ale Bedoya. Uh, Michael Bradley, obviously, Fabian Johnson, Dax McCarty in, Darlington Nagby, Christian Pulisic, again, obviously, and Christian Roldan from the Sounders in for this one. Up top, the options are Altador, Dempsey, Jordan Morris, Chris Wondolowski, and Bobby Wood. Jason, any surprises on this roster for you or any anybody, any names you're disappointed to see? Because there's not a lot of names that, that jump out at me as big surprises or, or deviations from the rosters Bruce Arena has been calling up. Sur- surprises, no. Uh, I'm not surprised by any of this. Uh, disappointments, um, I mean, I'm not really going to go too far out um, away from the norm. I think if we're talking about the third string goalkeeper position and i know bruce arena defended bringing in some of the guys he brought in as he wanted players who were already accustomed to getting on on ramped quickly with the national team um but at a certain point if you want a goalkeeper successor to come along you have to be using this opportunity to let them practice that skill uh which is a thing it's not that's he's not making something up that is a significant challenge for um for any player coming into the national team without a lot of experience. Um, but to get that experience, you have to actually do the thing. Um, and in this case, uh, it seems like arena has chosen the, the, the quote unquote, good guy in the locker room thing over on ramping a new goalkeeper, whether it's bill Hamid, which it probably should be. Um, if it was Ethan Horvath, I would at least, you know, I, I haven't seen him play in Europe. So, uh, this season, so I don't know, how he's doing exactly, but at least I would get the like, okay, let's pick a goalkeeper that's eventually going to be, um, for now at least being groomed to be the successor. Um, and instead, you know, that the program isn't going to get better long term with Romando in there. It's not a disrespect for, to Romando, but, um, you can hardly say that this season, uh, this season he hasn't really been at his best. I don't think he's earned the call up. Um, so. It, it's it's frustrating to me to see this chance to get Hamid or Horvath or somebody else uh, up to speed. Uh, it's it's frustrating to me not to see that opportunity given. Uh, and I think you can say all of that and apply it to Chris Wondolowski, who, um, while I'm I'm not of the crowd that gets like blind with rage when they see him get called in, um, I don't really see the point in calling him in at this point. I don't think you're gaining anything. Um, there are other American forwards, it turns out, uh, that that might benefit from a, a, a call. Um, I mean, if you – just throwing a name out, I mean, if, if Arena had called in CJ Sapong instead of Chris Wondolowski, I would say, okay, neither of them is going to play. They're not going to affect the game – these games themselves They're, unless there's a terrible injury crisis. 
Um, but we know what Wando can do. Um, it's fairly limited, uh, and it's time for us to move on. He's not going to get better. Um, so I, I would like to have seen something else done there, but ultimately, like I said, it's it's not a surprise. It's just kind of a mild disappointment. I think that's putting it about about right. Uh, I wonder whether Wando's in there because he's he's a sneaky guy. He's famously got the Jedi mind trick where he makes defenders forget he exists uh, for just long enough to score a goal. I wonder if he's in there to try to emulate any players that the U.S. could be facing and kind of be an analog during the the short training camp or, or the the few training sessions. I don't even think you can call it a camp uh, leading up to it. He does provide some intelligence and a different kind of challenge to center backs that he he faces even in training. So charitably, that's that's the reasoning I would give because I agree with you. He's not going to see the field in in these games. He I, I guess in World Cup qualifying, everybody dresses and it, it's a bigger than eighteen man game day line game day roster. But the odds of him actually crossing the touchline onto the field are are not high. Uh, That brings us to another Patreon question. This one from Scott Kubarik, who is our, one of our supporters on Patreon. Um, Check us out. Patreon.com slash filibuster. If you are interested in supporting us financially, he asks us, what does the squad need from these last four hexagonal matches to get that automatic qualifying spot? The top three teams all qualify, and the fourth place goes into an inter- intercontinental playoff uh, for one of the last spots in the World Cup. He, he asks, uh, Scott asks, does five or six or seven points do it for us? So these, these four games, there's 12 points on offer. Jason, how many do you think it'll take to keep third place? Uh, I'm just I'm looking at Panama's fixtures right now. Um, they've got two at home against Trinidad and Costa Rica, and they are at the U.S. and at Mexico. Um, so those are bad. Those, that's bad news for Panama. The, those those away games are um, probably not going to go their way. And when you start like if you add five points to what the U.S. has. That's 13, and Panama is on 7. Um, so Panama would have to win both of their remaining games and make up a three-goal gap on the U.S., and that's not counting the fact that I'm also essentially giving the U.S. a win over over Panama already. Um, so it's at least a four-goal gap to make up in two games. Um, and Panama has not been high scoring. They've only got four goals in their six games. They've been very much about keeping scores as low as possible at both ends. Um, so yeah, I think five points probably does eliminate Panama realistically. I don't, I don't see them bridging that gap. Um, Honduras, you only, what is this? Uh, Honduras's maximum points they can get to is 17, but that would mean beating Mexico. Uh, be, winning at Costa Rica, which they're probably not going to do, uh, beating the U.S., and then winning at Trinidad. And Honduras, you know, they've given up 14 goals in their six games, so I don't see I don't see them putting together the points to get to 13 either. 
Um, so I guess I'm going to have to say five. Um, I 12 might even do it, but 13 really should. I, I just don't see a way that the teams in the bottom can get to that. I mean, Trinidad has three, so they would have to essentially win out to get above that, um, which isn't going to happen either. So, yeah, 13, I think five points uh, will probably do it. Um, and realistically, the U.S. could, if they do the business in these two games, they could be done with it. Um, I mean, maybe not mathematically done, but realistically um, setting themselves up to possibly like with a win against Panama in October, um, getting to celebrate qualification at home, which uh, having been to a game where that happened, it's a pretty special thing. Even if you know it's kind, the game I went to, it was very unlikely and it happened anyway. Um, this was way back, uh, to qualify for 2002, um, seeing, seeing the players know that they were in, uh, being part of the crowd, being in the, in the building, it really was, uh, something else. So hopefully if they do the job in September, they can be set up to have a big party in Orlando after what should be a fairly straightforward win against Panama, even though Panama always makes themselves difficult to play against. Um, I mean, even if the U.S., only takes four points in September. If they hold Panama to a draw at home, it'll probably be enough. I remember four years ago um, when the U.S. clinched qualification in Columbus after after the Mexico game. Um, ESPN had switched their coverage to to something else, and they actually came back to the stadium to show the players' reactions. It is it is a special thing when they lock up uh, qualification. It's it's not quite on par. Um, uh, ben during the break was talking about his his days in the pep band of a a, a small Division One university, and this is going to be rubbing some salt in uh, what I assume is still a fresh wound. But watching small schools when they qualify for the NCAA tournament—that's how every country feels when they qualify for. I wish I knew how that felt <laughs> when they qualify for the World Cup. Uh, so it's it's a cool thing, and it it would be cool to see that happen on home soil again. I'll agree with Jason that five points will be enough, but I think that it that's only true as long as at least one of those points is against Panama. If the U.S. manages to drop that game against Panama, then uh, then it becomes a different ball game. Um, hopefully, four. it doesn't come to that. If they, I, I think four points is a reasonable haul um, from this month, winning against Costa Rica and then getting a draw with you know some some changed up starters in Honduras, and then you draw or beat Panama and you're in. Yeah. I, I think they have the setup to make it work pretty well. It's not an awful setup for them. And yeah, they just need to take care of business at home. And if they do that, it doesn't really matter what else happens. One thing that I think is kind of interesting about this window is it's, essentially the same i guess it's reverse order but it's essentially the same as the uh the first window of play in the last hexagonal at honduras and at home against costa rica and that was a a pretty memorable window um it started with a a midday loss in um what's in san pedro sula i guess against honduras and then the snow game the famous snow game in Colorado against Costa Rica, after which the 
Tico's Federation uh, formally protested the game with yeah. CONCACAF and they they still are a little bit salty about it. I'm I'm actually a little disappointed they didn't schedule this game for Colorado just to kind of do the same thing like Mexico, Columbus, Costa Rica, throw them in the snow and sh- in at altitude. Um, instead, this game will be in New Jersey, even though U.S. soccer keeps saying it's in New York. Um, it's at Red Bull Arena, which is very much on the west side of the Hudson River. Uh, so it's I, I think it's kind of fun to, to look at those parallels to to the last hexagonal. Obviously, we're at a different stage of it now, but that that was a memorable, I guess, week last time around. Yeah, it was it was strange. Um, I, I actually took off to watch that Honduras game, the the game during the day. I don't remember. I remember it being late afternoon, I guess, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, well, I, I said midday loosely, you know, yeah. during daylight hours. Well, I mean, I um, definitely skipped when out. it's hot. I skipped out. I, I, I was watching that game on a projector at my work, oh. at my then work, because my then work was pretty cool. Yeah. And also let me watch. Uh, we also watched the uh, – Women's World Cup in what 2011? Mm-hmm. We watched that on projectors in in my work. Nice. Then the only thing I ever watched uh, with a projector at work was uh, one Friday. I brought a copy of Kill Bill Volume One, and a coworker brought six beers, and we waited till everyone left. Um, and we just sort of <laughs> had we didn't have permission, but I don't think anyone would have cared because we were clearly done for the the week. Um, so we threw it up in the the conference room. Um, I think we ended up having like a couple people that were still lingering like, Hey, do you want to come watch a movie and have a beer with us? And they were like, yes, yes, I do. Um, but I will, I will bring up the fact that the game winner for Honduras was scored by none other than, uh, the accomplished MLS striker, Jerry Bengtson, um, <laughs> who, uh, people might remember Jerry Bengtson for being, uh, I, maybe the first ever designated player for the Revs. Um, I think that's right. Definitely, he definitely is. They in 2012 they gave him a designated player contract. Um, and in his 29 appearances for the Revs, he scored three goals. Uh, they sent him on loan two different times. Uh, to try and figure out oh, something to do with him after it became obvious that he was no good. Um, but uh, yeah, he scored the game winner for Honduras. He's one of those classic Concacaf guys that is just better for his national team than he ever is at a club. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a rough game. I remember the field was, um, and it probably will be just the same thing where it's just very muddy. It wasn't raining that game, but the field was just so heavy from the humidity that it never really, it never really gets to the proper level of, um, dryness where the, the ball plays like you would normally expect. Um, given Honduras's history, the, the grass is probably going to be left uncut for a few days to, to slow the ball down a little bit. Um, but yeah, that was a it was a frustrating game. I, I think I watched it at Fado in Annapolis, and there were like six people there that had done the same as me, and all of us were just independently like, "Boy, this sucks. Uh, this is this is not pleasant to to lose." This I was game. I was definitely I was definitely at Gus's here in Richmond. Nice, uh, Jerry Garcia, the other goal scorer in that game, uh, was a. Uh, Wait, no, was it Jerry Garcia or was it one of the other uh, is, soccer playing? Isn't Garcia? he uh, too busy playing uh, music for the Grateful Dead? No, no, no. Uh, there are there are like uh, six Garcia cousins or brothers. No, this was um, uh, Juan Carlos Garcia that scored the other goal in that game. It wasn't uh, Jerry or Johnny or um, Oscar Boniac Garcia. 
or or what about cherry? Cherry? No, I don't think Cherry Garcia played that day. I don't think ice cream flavors play soccer, Ben. Well, the thing is, like, if you feel Cherry Garcia in CONCACAF qualifying, it's just going to melt, and that's no good. You're not going to get anywhere like that. Um, It would have done well in the snow game. Yeah, you need need to use your times for Cherry Garcia. At least it would have survived the snow game. Uh, It wouldn't have melted. Let's let's talk about these actual, at least the Costa Rica game. Um, I, I don't I think we'll have another episode that comes out at least a couple hours before the Honduras game. We'll we'll see how our, our planning goes. But I do want to talk about this Costa Rica game and, and how the Ticos are likely to come out at Red Bull Arena against the U.S. Jason, um, how do you think they're likely to, to run out? Uh, generally, Costa Rica loves, and even though they've changed coaches since the last World Cup, they really love to play this 4-5-1, 3-4-3 flexible kind of system um, where the wing backs move up a level uh, into the midfield and the wide midfielders move up to be um, the other two forwards. Um, Sometimes they'll play that narrow where those two wide midfielders tuck in and it's more like a five, two, two, one. Um, But it's a fluid formation is the point. Um, They've had a lot of success playing that way. They're not going, they're not going to change things. Um, They're not going to change what they do um, as far as that goes. Um, they're still coached, uh, unless I miss something. Um, yeah, Oscar Ramirez, the who was the coach of Alajuelense when DC played them in the Champions League the last time, he's still the boss there. Um, his nickname is still Macho, even though when you look at him, he doesn't really look macho at all. It's kind of a funny nickname, um, at least in my opinion. He just looks like a little guy. Uh, he's not he's not particularly macho looking to me, I don't think. Um, but uh, they've still called in... Um, it's pretty much the familiar faces that get called in with them every time. You're still going to see Chelsea Borges, who's an excellent player. He's playing in um, Spain with uh, Deportivo La Coruña still. Um, an MLS team should absolutely be offering him big money to come to MLS uh, when he, you know, I guess next year he turns 30. That's the time to get him. Um, uh, Jose Ortiz actually got called in, um, which is interesting because he's, I guess, gotten into s- some form with Herediano, or maybe they're just like, well, you're playing again, so you're in. Um, that's an, that's an interesting situation, but, uh, there's still a lot of talent there with, uh, Brian Ruiz. You've got to shut him down. Um, the U.S. has done pretty well at that the last couple of times they've met, but it's still a big threat. I mean, this is still a guy that has pretty extensive experience and has, has been a problem for the U S uh, usually he plays wide in one of those wide forward, wide midfield roles, but um, there, the flexibility extends to, you know, they might have Ruiz play as a center forward for a few minutes and move Marco Urania out to the wing just temporarily, just to see if it, it shakes anything loose, if it throws some confusion in the ranks. Um, They're more than willing to do that. They're going to be tough and competitive. It's going to be, a very feisty game. Um, this is one of the teams, though, that they don't just have to rely on being feisty and, and you know, borderline dirty like we see a lot in CONCACAF. They can actually play at, at a level very close to the U.S., and if the U.S. isn't playing up, up near their very best, they're going to have a big problem against Costa Rica. They always do. Um, whenever they let that level drop a little bit, Costa Rica all of a sudden is... Uh, you know, a very difficult opponent. It, it doesn't hurt that they've got Kilo Navas um, uh, playing at Real Madrid. It doesn't hurt that they've got a ton of experience. If you look at their roster, um, the concern for Costa Rica should be where are the young players because I'm looking at their ages right now and it's 
27 and up almost across the board. They've got Francisco Calvo from Minnesota United is 25. Jose Ortiz is 25. Um, David Ramirez, who plays with Saprisa, is 24. But everyone else is older than those guys. Um, they've got several guys that are in their 30s. So um, they're battle-tested, they're experienced, uh, but they are lacking that that next big prospect that's going to come through and make a difference for them. Um, even their, their third-string goalkeeper is 27. Um, there's just no, there's no one exciting coming through the ranks. This is who they are. This is, if they go to the world cup, this is probably the group that's going to go. Um, so they, they might be a little vulnerable in terms of speed these days, which didn't used to be the case. Um, we might see someone like Rodney Wallace get in as a result because they might need somebody who is a little faster than the rest of their team. Um, well, Arania is pretty quick. Yeah, he, he's not he's not he, slow. They don't have a bunch of guys that are slow, but they don't have anyone that's right. like, it may have wow, been, that guy's fast. Yeah, anybody who watched um, the the Galaxy Quakes game this, this past weekend could be forgiven for thinking Arania is a, a legitimate speedster. The LA defense made him look very fast. Yeah, yeah normally he's more of a hold-up guy. Um, he got in behind one-on-one with the keeper from basically from midfield on two separate occasions, one of which ended in the worst scuffed shot you're, you're going to see this week. Yeah. Unfortunately, he wasted it on the galaxy rather than holding it in for qualifying. Um, yeah. But no, he, he can't win them all. He's likely to get the start at that center forward role. Um, he's going to be physical. Uh, he's going to, one of the things that Costa Rica does get, and they do really well is that everyone buys in. So no one's trying to be the star of the show. They, it's just a team effort from front to back. They want everyone's trying to win the game. It's not like the guy has to be the no one on the team has to be the guy that plays the killer ball or gets to the highlight reel. They just want to win the game and they don't care how they do it. Um, so there's a, a good camaraderie within their ranks. There's no there's not a lot of ego uh, that I've seen. So they're going to be they're tough. They're going to be tough to break down. They're a tough team to. Um, deal with because they're they're determined uh like i said the experience they have it's not just i mean the 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 double-edged sword there where they're they're old but experienced that experience does actually count um they they're pretty much uh as tough as Concacaf can put forward without being mexico or the u.s for a reason uh they beat the other teams in in the hexagonal uh on a regular basis for a reason they belong in Concacaf's top three and winning this game is it's going to be a big challenge for the US. They have to be really tuned in from the start. They have to be ready for a physical game. Um they've got to watch out on set pieces. You've got Kendall Waston um throwing himself around um that's always difficult to contain. Um and they've got to be I I say I would say disciplined because Costa Rica plays physical in a way that tends to get people wound up and gets gets under people's skin. And in CONCACAF, when you start to get a little angry, you usually end up being the re- the one the referee finds and, and throws out or gives a yellow or whatever. And um, I want to say there are three players that are on yellow card suspension. I know Bradley is one of them, um, which is why Arena called in uh, 26 players uh, was in part to uh, have someone ready to go without having to call someone in and uh, catch them up to speed. Um yeah, uh, it's going to be a difficult game. It's going to be a contentious game. Um, but hopefully the U.S. is smart enough to see their way through it. They should win this game. It's just, it'll be tight. 
the Costa Rica game will go down 6.30 p.m. on Friday night, watched on ESPN. Honduras game will be uh, the following Tuesday, September 5th, 5.30 p.m., so check out from work a little bit early and get yourself in front of a TV that has BN Sports, because that's that and NBC Universo are the only places to watch that particular fixture, so... Um, Get to the soccer bar of your choice and get there early next Tuesday. That's it for us this week. Thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you to our Patreon supporters. Find us on uh, online, blackandredunited.com. Help us out on, on Patreon at patreon.com slash filibuster. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website, plus all our, our personal Twitter accounts, which are pretty easy to find if you if you feel so inclined. You could probably uh, find Adam at Proko Harum. Uh, n- not, in fact. That is not my, my handle, nor will it ever be. Um, and, unless one of you in intrepid listeners hacks my Twitter account, which please don't. I, I would not like it if you did that. Adam's password is Proko Harum, so it'll be easy to hack. I won't confirm or deny that. I... I, I said the Twitter thing. Uh, find us on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play. We're on the Internet Archive. We are on the podcatcher of your choice. Uh, for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. Say goodbye, Jason. Donkey Kong. <laughs>